Hello, this is Kurt Frankum, and many of you know me as the host of the Leading Saints podcast. But Leading Saints isn't just a podcast. We are a 501c3 nonprofit organization, and we strive to create quality leadership content for Latter-day Saints in order to help them be better prepared to lead. With this mission comes a lot of expense, and we need additional help to continue our efforts in the coming year. In order to exchange value for value, we have created the Core Leader Community. To become a core leader, all you have to do is become a subscribing donor, which might be a monthly recurring donation or even a quarterly or yearly donation. For those who become a core leader through a subscription donation, you have access to our core leader library, which includes additional recorded interviews not available to the general audience, access to all virtual summits, discounts on products and conferences, and access to a private CoreCast feed where you will hear additional leadership thought and behind the scenes happenings. We are a community of leaders making this happen, and we need you a part of this mission. Text the word LEAD to 474747 in order to become a core leader today, or visit leadingsaints.org donate. Hey everyone, welcome back to the Leading Saints podcast. My name is Kurt Frankum, and I will be your host. I always wonder if I should say my name over and over again, but I guess if you're new, you wouldn't know who I was. So for those of you that have been listening for years and years, I appreciate you just uh, rolling with it when I introduce myself again, because of course, you know, I'm Kurt Frank and we're old buddies, we're old pals, we own walks together, we garden together, we shovel the walks together, right? We've That's just how tight we are. So if you are new to Leading Saints, well, that's my name, Kurt Frankum, and uh, Leading Saints is a podcast where we talk all things leadership because our mission at Leading Saints is to help Latter-day Saints be better prepared to lead. And we do that through various resources, including the podcast, which is probably the big one. And then we have uh, thousands of articles at leadingsaints.org. We have a weekly newsletter that comes out with even more information that doesn't get shared anywhere else. So if you're not on the newsletter, you're missing out. But I welcome you. You're in good hands, and I hope you enjoy the content here. Now, uh, I need to take a moment to have some announcements, all right? Just like uh, we used to do in SACRA meeting, at least hopefully you used to do, uh, is we have an announcement section. So a few things that you need to know is coming up is I'm aiming for, at the moment of this recording, unless I change my mind, on the 18th, which you're hearing this on the 15th, roughly. And so the, the following Tuesday, we are releasing the recordings for the Rob Farrell presentations that we recorded last month that he did before a live audience. And he did four plus hours of content and we're chopping it up into four pieces and releasing them day to day so that everybody can benefit from this content online. But you got to watch it uh, on the same day that it's released, uh, just like a conference, right? And uh, so if you go to leadingsaints.org, there'll be some links there. I, let's see, I need to create a link right now, leadingsaints.org slash Rob, R-O-B, and that will give you, get you to the, the page you need to go to uh, register for that. Make sure you don't miss on these phenomenal presentations by Rob Farrell. Uh, he talks in the context of serving and leading young adults, but really all these principles he talks about apply to any leader serving or leading anybody. So don't miss that. We also have our next virtual summit coming up, which I'm aiming for. <laughs> This is my life. I just put something on the calendar and hope it works by then. If not, it'll happen a few weeks after. But the first week of March, we're having the Meetings with Saints Virtual Summit, where we do a deep dive in the, into the science of meetings and talk all things meetings, the best practices of meetings, how to hold better uh, interviews, how to increase the effectiveness of ward council, uh, how to run better sacrament meetings. I mean, everything's meetings. We're trying to put it all in this one summit. And so the in March, that's going to happen. We have 20 plus uh, interviews and sessions with individuals, even individuals who describe themselves as a meeting scientist. So it's going to be great. You don't want to miss it. And if you go to leadingsaints.org slash meetings, you'll be able to find uh, where to register for that. It may not be ready to go right away, but uh, as long as you're on the newsletter list, you're not going to miss this chance. So just make sure on, you're on the newsletter. And then lastly, this last announcement applies to this episode you're about to hear, but North Star is having their conference. That's right. It's almost March and every March North Star has their conference. Now, North Star is a phenomenal organization, which I have the opportunity to serve on their board of directors, but North Star does remarkable work in the realm of LGBT Latter-day Saints. So anybody in who's a Latter-day Saint who also experiences same gender attraction or, or is, is transgender, 
This is a great community for individuals to find community of other people who are striving to keep their covenants and who are striving to have and develop a deeper relationship with Jesus Christ. I probably didn't say that perfectly, but you get the idea. It's phenomenal. I can't endorse this organization enough run by phenomenal people who are doing, uh, who created a remarkable resource for not only LGBT Latter-day Saints, but also just friends and family and leaders of these people. So what happens is they have this conference. It's going to be March 5th through the 7th, and you can come to all all three of those days. There's a cost to that, or you can come to just one day. Or if you're a leader, someone who sits on a ward council, you can actually go to a free leadership session. There's a variety of these sessions that you can pick from. I think there's four that you can pick from, which I'll be uh, facilitating one of those. So on Saturday morning, they have these free sessions that you can, that leaders can go to to learn more. Now, here is the deal. Here is what I want you to understand as a leader. We come here to Leading Saints to talk about leadership, how to be a great leader, and tactics, and tips, and tricks, and best practices, whatever it is, right? Here's the reality. Sometimes to be a better leader is even though you're busy, even though you have soccer games, even though your Saturdays are your one day off, quote unquote, you have to You don't even have to dress up for this, by the way. You can go in Levi's if you want, but you drive to Salt Lake and you go to North Star. If you are in any reasonable distance of getting here, this is what leadership looks like, is you go to the North Star Conference and you educate yourself on these resources, on these perspectives, and then you can go back to your ward and you can be a true leader that says, listen, I've been to this conference. I've learned a thing or two. If anybody would like to talk to me about this and and resources are available, my office door is open. That brothers and sisters, is leadership. So I hope you do not miss the opportunity. And if you've been before, would you come back? Don't act like you figured it out, all right? You need to re-up every year. Come and enjoy. I'll be there. It'll be fun to meet you. So there's my encouragement, my pitch, my, my hopefully I'm motivating you to uh, to be there. So go to, uh, I'll, I'll link to it in the show notes, but northstarlds.org, yeah, right there on the homepage is a link to all the ways you can register, especially for the free sessions. Even though it's a free session, leadership session, you still need to register so we know you're coming. All right. Now, this episode is with Beckett Cook. Now, Beckett Cook is the author of A Change of Affection, A Gay Man's Incredible Story of Redemption. Beckett Cook is an evangelical Christian who has a a fantastic story of him living a gay lifestyle and through much uh, several events that he describes in this episode, uh, how he came unto Christ and was saved and is now in full fellowship with uh, the evangelical church. And uh, he is a remarkable, powerful voice and inspiring nonetheless. And so I always look for maybe unique perspectives, right? Obviously, this is a Latter-day Saint podcast. And so why would I bring somebody on that's not a Latter-day Saint? Well, I think we can learn something as we seek out other Christians from other denominations and perspectives and theologies and say, you know, how have you approached this situation with individuals who experience same gender attraction, right? How do we love them? How do we encourage them? What was your experience like? What worked for you, right? And again, we love everybody and regardless of where they're at in their journey, and I hope you just find inspiration from, from Beckett's story. And I ask him a few follow-up questions about that, hopefully help you as a leader better understand uh, our approach by, by still, and this is, the, this is the balance, right? Is by loving an individual, but still standing by what we believe is true and uh, what Christ has asked us to do and become and so forth. So here's my interview with Beckett Cook, the author of A Change of Affection. Today, I find myself uh, through the powers of the internet sitting down with uh, Beckett Cook. How are you, Beckett? I'm doing well, Kurt. Thank you for having me. Good. Now we're recording this in February of 2020. And here in a few weeks, we have the North Star Convention coming up here in Salt Lake. And uh, you're one of our keynotes that's coming to town to present. And you haven't been to Salt Lake too many times. Is that right? No, I think I've been once, but it was years and years ago. So I'm excited to come back. Oh, good. Good. Well, we're excited to have you. And, and where do you live currently? Los Angeles. Nice. Los Angeles. And you've, li- you've been there a few decades. Right? I've been here since 1993. Wow. Yeah. Nice. So now you're not a, you know, what we call a Latter-day Saint. You're not Mormon, but you are Christian. Yes. So we relate on quite a bit there. So I always like to, when we, we have people on the, the podcast or in Leading Saints that, that aren't necessarily a Latter-day Saint, I always like to hear about their experience with Latter-day Saints, the good or bad, like any crazy like <laughs> missionaries knocking on your door stories or anything that would be, be of note in your life as it comes to Mormons. 
I haven't had that much experience with Latter-day Saints. I mean, the Mormon temple in Los Angeles is beautiful, is all I know. But um, I don't know if you've ever been been here. I haven't been there to that temple. Uh. It's really, really beautiful. But I don't have that much experience with Latter-day Saints. I mean, I know kind of generally kind of about them, but I don't, I don't know the details of the theology. Okay. That's fine. I'd rather you tell me that than uh, I have a list of bad experiences. <laughs> so, well, cool. Well, I want you to, to take a few minutes to uh, maybe tell your story and I'll maybe interject some questions here or there. But obviously that sets the foundation of, of uh, you know, you coming to the conference and this interview itself. But uh, where should we begin as far as understanding you, your background and your story? Well, I think uh, we should begin at the beginning. I Let's do it. Born and raised in Dallas, Texas, in a Catholic, Roman Catholic family, went to Catholic schools my whole life, Jesuit schools in Dallas, and, you know, never felt a connection to God in those, in that atmosphere. And, but at a very, you know, at a very young age in elementary school, I came to realize that I was attracted to the same sex. And that, in that time, and according to my, the church and my family and my peers and just society in general, it was very much frowned upon to be gay. You know, that wasn't okay. It was very much forbidden. And so I had to keep it, you know, this deep, dark secret. And I, it wasn't until high school that I befriended someone who was also going through the same thing I was. And we actually came out to each other. And that kind of was a turning point for me because when, when, when we came out to each other, we started exploring gay culture in Dallas. And we went to gay bars. I mean, I was 15 years old going to gay bars and nightclubs and it's just seeing all of this whole world I had never been exposed to. And I just remember thinking when I first was experiencing this, I was like, these, like, these are my people. These are, these people get who I am. Even though at school I was popular and I had friends, I even had girlfriends, but I knew I was kind of leading this double life, but those friends didn't really know who I was Mm. or who I thought I was. And so when I first experienced this, this group of people at these clubs, I was like, I'm finally home. And then after that, after high school, I went away to college and I, the same thing happened. I, I befriended someone who was gay and we came out to each other, the same thing. And we confided in each, in each other. We, you know, explored gay culture together, you know, explored that life together. And, but I never thought of it as kind of a permanent condition, as it were. I just thought, you know, this is how I feel now, but eventually I'll grow out of this and, you know, I'll get married and have kids. But after, and I wasn't out, I I wasn't out in high school or college. I was very much closeted. But after college, I moved to Tokyo with my best friend from college. And I lived there for a year. And while, while I was there, my best friend invited his friend from Texas to come stay with us. And that's when, and I, we, that guy and I, we fell in love. And that's when I was like, okay, this is definitely who I am. This is my identity. Like this is, that's when homosexuality became cemented as my identity. And I came out to my parents, came out to my family, came out to all my friends. And, and I was very much, I very much embraced that life. I very much embraced that identity. I was like, I was happy to be gay, (laughs) which sounds funny, but I was happy to be gay. And, and I, yeah, it was, it was, I felt after falling in love that first time, I just felt so empowered to, to really just like embrace this. And it was like, this is never going to change. This is immutable. It's who I am for the rest of my life. And I'm happy about it. And and God was, again, God was not an option for me because I knew I was gay and I knew that Christianity, I knew the two didn't connect. So I just was like, okay, that's, that's never an option for me. So the more, the more time went by, the more and more I became not just an agnostic, but really an atheist. By the time, you know, in my adulthood in Los Angeles, I was a practical atheist. And and how did your parents take that? I mean, were they pretty orthodox in their faith or were they more open to it or? No, they were, they were orthodox. My parents, yeah, they t- definitely believed it was a sin. My, 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 all of my siblings believed it was a sin. And all my siblings were believers, Christians, and, um, as well as my parents. And so 
my parents were very lovely about it. Part of it, I was the youngest of eight kids, hmm. like big Mormon families, there was big Catholic yeah. families. And so part of it was that my parents had been through so many kids that by the time they got to me, it was just like, you know, whatever. <laughs> like, but my, they were super sweet about it. They were very, they didn't like have some crazy reaction and yeah. like, you know, there was no, there were no dramatic scenes. They didn't kick me out of the house or anything. They, they just, they were like, my mother cried, I remember. And, and I was just like, mom, like, don't worry. This is just, it's not a big deal. This is who I am. Don't worry about it. And, and then she recovered quickly. And then my father, when he first found out, he asked me, you know, are you angry at me for anything? Did I, did I do anything wrong as a father? Mm. And I was like, dad, no, this has nothing to do with you. This is just who I am. And, and, and they basically were very much hands off with it and, and didn't, try to meddle in my life because they knew, I mean, I was an adult, I was at that point, I was like 22 or 23, or 22. And so, you know, there wasn't much they could do or say. And mm -hmm. so then I, I, and then I moved to Los Angeles and I, you know, I moved to LA to pursue writing and direct or writing and acting. And, and when I got here, I already had a whole kind of group of friends set here because Several of my friends from high school had gone to Ivy League schools on the East Coast, to Princeton and Brown, especially Brown. And when, so when I moved out to LA, there was this whole group of friends from Princeton and Brown who were already here. And I became friends, close friends with all of them. And we, they were all just like super smart, super funny, super ambitious. And that's kind of what we thought life was all about. We thought it was about you know, making it big in Hollywood, you know, meeting the one, finding the one true love. And, and I thought, you know, having these great experiences was just what life was all about. It was like, cause we went, we would go to the, all the award shows, to Oscars, Emmys, Golden Globes, the after parties, the Vanity Fair parties, the governor's ball after the Oscars. And we would go to, I would go to fashion weeks in New York and Paris and I would just go, I, would, I met everyone. I went to dinner parties at everyone's house. I, Ariana Huffington's house. Um, at time, I had dinner with Tom Hanks and uh, Meryl Streep. And I, one, one night, I went to Prince's house and he performed wow. a concert in his backyard for three hours. You know, it's like, I was having, <laughs> yeah. Yeah, this was like a common thing. Like every week, there was another extraordinary kind of party or experience where I just, and I thought, okay, like, this is like Socrates says, know thyself. Like this, I'm getting to know who I am. And this, you know, this kind of life really sustained me for a long time. And I loved it. And I, it was exciting. There were, you know, I traveled the world. There was a lot of fun. And a lot of my friends, actually all of them, <laughs> ended up becoming super successful in their field. Like famous directors, writers, actors, producers. And now, like, several of them are famous movie stars. and one of my friends just got a, a star on the Hollywood Walk of Fame recently, uh, or a few years ago. And so, you know, over the years, I just thought, this is what life is about. This is who I am, I, you know. But after, you know, 10 plus years of this, maybe 12 years of this, you, the weight of postmodern relativism starts to kind of weigh on you. And you start, to, because it's like, you start to wonder, like, is there objective truth? Is there a right and wrong? Is there a left and right? Is there up and down? Like, what is, what's the meaning of life? And so I started to really start to feel that, the weight of that. And, and I, I started to feel like, you know, is that all there is to life? It's just like going to these parties, going, meeting all these people, being best friends with movie stars. Like, is this, is this what life is really about? Because, I mean, it felt like that for a long time and it was really fun, but it was starting to, Fade. And I, I had this turning point at Paris, in Paris, at Paris Fashion Week in March of 2009. I used to go to Fashion Weeks. And in Paris at, in 2009, I, was at, I went to a bunch of the shows and to a bunch of the after parties because most of the shows have an after party. I was at Stella McCartney's party and Kanye was there. Kanye was at Fashion Week that week. And I, you know, I, I had fun that week, but then one, that one night at this party, I was there, everyone from the fashion world was there. Everyone was drinking and, and champagne and dancing and having the times of their lives. And I just felt this overwhelming sense of emptiness and of just like, 
this isn't going to cut it for me. Like this has worked for me for a very long time, like in high school, college, and all this time in LA and Tokyo, this, all these kind of exciting experiences has worked for me, but this isn't going to do it anymore. Wow. And I, but I didn't know what to do because I was like, but God isn't an option. So I, what, I felt trapped. I felt like. And like Kanye's in the room. So you think like, there's no level above this. Like I am at the pinnacle <laughs> of, of stardom here, you know? <laughs> yes. Who knew he would later write an album called Jesus is King. I mean, that's <laughs> right. pretty extraordinary. But so I went home to, I went back to my hotel that night in Paris and just was up all night in a panic about my future. And I'm like, what am I going to do for the rest of my life? Like, I can't live like this anymore. And I wasn't suicidal, but I was just, the future looked very bleak and I didn't know how to, to get out of it. I was like, what, what do I do? So I get back to LA. I get busy with work again. I, I was, uh, at that point, I was a production designer in Hollywood uh, in, on fashion shoots, on photo shoots. And, and so I worked in that, for, in that business for a very long time. And I got really busy with work. I kind of forgot about that night in Paris a little bit. It kind of faded away. And then six months later, I was at a coffee shop in L.A. And with my best friend who was gay, who was a movie producer. And we were just chatting, you know, just having a, a nice afternoon sunny you know beautiful afternoon in LA and we know we turn and we notice that a table next to us and it's a young a group of young people with bibles on the table and uh, that was a shocking thing to see in LA because I had never seen a bible in public in LA <laughs> wow. so that was that was very shocking and we both my friend and I just looked at each other and we're like like and and then they bowed their heads at us they bowed their heads and prayed and then we thought, okay, this is really freaky. Like, are they going to like Jonestown, Guiana? Like, are they in a cult? <laughs> are they planning a trip to Jonestown? And so we were, we were half intrigued by them and half kind of, I guess, repulsed by them. But hmm. we ended up, my friend encouraged me to, to talk to them because he kind of liked to stir things up. And, and so I just, eventually I turned to them and I said, hey, are you guys... Christians? Like, what's the deal? And they said, yeah, we're evangelical Christians. We go to this church in Hollywood called Reality LA. And, and I said, well, what, what do you believe? Because I don't, I mean, I grew up Catholic. I don't remember. Like, I just, like, just tell me what you believe. And they kind of just explained the gospel to me. They told me what they believed. And we got into this really nice conversation for, it went on for like an hour. And of course I get to the $64,000 question. You know, I said, so what is your church in Hollywood? believe about homosexuality and they said well we believe it's a sin and and I you know in that moment I had this kind of thing because of that night in Paris six months before I had this moment of okay what if God does exist I mean there's a very slim chance he does and what if he does exist what if homosexuality is wrong and I don't know it and what if I built my whole life on a false foundation and I don't and I'm unaware that, that there is a tiny chance that, that that's possible. And so, so they invited me to their church the following Sunday. And I said, well, I don't know if I'm going to go, but uh, just give me the address and we'll see. And so I had a whole week to think about it. And the following Sunday, I woke up and I just was like, I guess I'm going to this church. And, and I just got in my car and drove to this. It, was a, it meets in a public high school in Los Angeles in an auditorium on Sunset Boulevard. And I, so I go in and I'd never had, I had never experienced an evangelical church. So I didn't know what it looked like. I, I was used to stained glass windows and smoke and bells and robes and vestments, but um, it was very plain, like a plain auditorium, you know? Mm. So that was refreshing to me because I was like, oh, this is nice. It's very plain and spare. And so I walk in and I hear the Christian worship band playing the band is the worship music is on playing. And I just immediately cringe because I'm like, Oh, I forgot Christian music existed. Oh, <laughs> but then I was like, wait, it's not bad. I like it. It's actually pretty good. And so I found my seat near the front and the pastor comes out and he preaches on Romans chapter seven. He's in the middle of this whole Roman series for two years. And so as he was on Romans chapter seven at that point, and he is preaching and for an hour and while he's preaching all just suddenly every word he's saying every sentence he's saying is resonating as true in my mind in my heart and i don't know why hmm. 
And I'm, I'm literally on the edge of my seat, riveted to the sermon. I'm just kind of like, what the, like, this is the gospel. Like this is good news. Cause it, it turned everything I believed religion was on its head. And I was, I didn't want him to stop preaching. I mean, even after an hour, I was like, just keep talking. Like I want to know more. And so after the sermon, he left the stage and he said, you know, there's people on the side of the church. If you want prayer for anything, you can ask for prayer. And I, so I had this moment of, do I go over there? If I do, it's hum- it could be humiliating because people are probably watching me, the people who invited me here. And, but I was like, whatever, I'm here. I'm just going to walk over there. And so I walked over. And this is during the worship. So there's a second, there's 30 more minutes of worship music that happens after the sermon. So it's the, the lights are kind of dim and there's worship music playing. So I walk over to the side and I go up to a guy, a random guy, and I say, hi, I don't know what I believe, but I'm here. And he said, well, let me pray for you. And he laid his hands on me, which was still legal at the time. And he prayed for me. And I just thought, you know, while he was praying, I was like, how does this random straight dude love me so much? Because his prayer was so full of love and care. So anyway, I thanked him for the prayer. I walked back to my seat. I sit down. There's still another 25 minutes of worship happening. I sit down, everyone else is standing and singing. And all of a sudden the Holy Spirit just like floods my body and my mind, my, my soul, everything. And in that moment, God revealed himself to me. And it was like Isaiah when he's in the temple and he sees God's holiness, he comes undone. I, God, I just started bawling. Like, cause I could, like I cried harder than I had ever cried in my life. And in that moment, God was like, I'm God. Jesus is my son. Heaven's real. Hell's real. The Bible's true. Welcome to my kingdom. And I was like, whoa. (laughs) And and I, in that moment, I was born again. And I just had, I mean, I just could not believe it was like the curtains had parted and I could finally see the meaning of life. And I was like, what? Like, this is true. And then I came home right after the service and got in bed and it happened again. I was in bed trying to take a nap because I was so freaked out. And it was kind of like Moses when he's in the cleft of the rock and God passes by with his glory. God was like, let me show you some more of my glory. And I I just like, I feel just his presence over me, like while I'm in bed and I jump out of bed and I'm like, God, and I just start crying again, like bawling uncontrollably. I'm like, God, you have my whole life. It's yours. I'm done. And that was in my bedroom right behind me. Oh, and, um, <laughs> and I knew in that moment, I knew to the core of my being that homosexuality was a sin, that it was wrong, that it was not who I was anymore, that it wasn't my identity, that it was a thing of the past, and that, I, that dating guys was no longer a part of my future. But I didn't care because I had just met Jesus Christ. And I was like, uh, I'm going to go with this guy, like those guys, good riddance to that life. Cause this guy's way better and I'm going with him. And so, uh, that was March, I'm sorry, September 20th, 2009, 10 years ago. Wow. And, uh, and, and you've been, uh, preaching the word ever since, right? <laughs> yes. I've been telling, I've been sharing the gospel with anyone and everyone. So uh, yeah, when I, what I, right after I got saved, you know, I was working on photo shoots and, you know, these are like the top like actresses, models and photographers in the world that I work with. And yeah, I mean, I would just tell everyone on the set about like, oh my gosh, you guys, Jesus is real. Like, it's crazy. Like, it's all true. And, um, and were they accepting or like, how did they respond to that? They were, they were curious, actually. I mean, most people were pretty, pretty accepting and curious. And um, some people like kind of made fun of me a little bit, but, but most people were just like, wow, like what, what happened? And um, so it was, it was interesting because I, I thought for sure I was going to like lose my career because I was vocal about the gospel on, on the set. But it was weird. Like I, I didn't, I got even more jobs. Like it was crazy. So, um, yeah. And your career hasn't really shifted ever since then. I mean, have you, no, it has now because, (laughs) (laughs) because the book I wrote, I wrote a book called the change of affection. Right. Right. Yeah. And, uh, it came out this past summer, a few months ago. So, or six, five months ago. And once the book came out, my agency dropped me. 
mm-hmm. as a client. So I, um, my production design agency dropped me. And so I'm basically now persona non grata in Hollywood. I'm, I pretty much got blacklisted in Hollywood because of the book, because it, the book is, you know, it's pretty, it's pretty scandalous, the book, you know, right? From a Hollywood perspective, right? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Not a Christian perspective. And so I no longer work in that business. And now I pretty much am a full-time speak, you know, itinerant speaker and preacher. Oh, cool. That's yeah. awesome. That's awesome. So I guess I, I'm curious, like, obviously these are remarkable experiences. And I think we've all, as we've, you know, <clears throat> feel like we've been saved and we turn to Christ and invite him into our life and, and recognize his identity and, you know, those moments when you're in the moment, it is like so overwhelming. Like you, in the moment you can say to yourself and believe yourself, I'm never going to sin again. I'm, I mean, there's, why would I ever sin when I feel like this? So tell me about like when you get back to like real life, right? And even after maybe a few months after, you know, you sort of get back to, you know, just Monday through Friday work and real, uh-huh. you know, what was when those, maybe those feelings kind of hem and haw, like what, what is your belief? And, and even now, as far as your day to day, I mean, what does that look like day to day? Well, I mean, for the first year, at least, I was so absolutely mesmerized by the fact that I was say, like in God's kingdom that I, I mean, I just read the Bible nonstop. I couldn't stop reading the Bible. I listened to hundreds and hundreds of sermons by pastors all over the world from mm-hmm. Tim Keller in New York and John Stott in London and other, a bunch of other guys. And every time I would listen to a sermon or read the Bible, I would just end up bawling. I would end up crying because I, I just would be like, I can't believe that I'm a part of God's redemptive story. Like, I can't believe I'm in this story. And so it was for, for several years. I mean, for the first year or at least a couple of years, I couldn't be, I literally couldn't listen because I had been so, so I'd been in darkness for so long that once I was in the light, I couldn't even listen to music. like to, unless it was Christian music, I couldn't listen to music. I couldn't watch any movies or TV. I couldn't even, I couldn't read the New York times because it was like, so it brainwashed me so much for so many years. I couldn't read the New Yorker magazine, which I'd read religiously for 20 years. So all that stuff was just like, I was repelled by it. And I couldn't listen to NPR because that was another brainwashing thing. And I, but yeah, I mean, the, the God, God had so much grace on me, especially in the area of same-sex attraction that it really, even to, to, until now, until now, it's, it doesn't, I mean, there's still vestiges of it, but it doesn't ever dominate my thought life. I don't think about it. I mean, it's very rare that I think about it. I'm single and celibate, and I'm happy to be that way. Like, you know, I, people always ask me, you know, isn't it, you know, unfair that you have to be alone for the rest of your life? And I'm like, I'm not alone. I have this incredible relationship with Jesus Christ, the king of the universe. Like, why? And it, what's unfair is Jesus had to be, brutally beaten, crucified, and tortured for my sins. Like, that's unfair. Mm-hmm. And so I never feel like I'm being cheated out of something or I'm missing out on something. I, I feel quite the opposite. I feel like the luckiest guy in the world, even though yeah. I don't have the luck. But in terms of the day-to-day, I mean, yeah, like, it, there's struggles and there's temptations and stuff. But, you know, it's just like, that's just part of sanctification and, and, and the, you know, the life of a Christian. And, you know... I thankfully we have God to go to in those moments and, and ask for help and his, his, his spirit helps. Like in those moments, I'm just like, God, like I need your Holy spirit right now to, I'm feeling this longing for something. I need your spirit to fill that, whatever that longing is. I need your spirit to, to fill that or Jesus. And so, so yeah, I, yeah, it's just, you know, yeah. it's like, it's like a, it's like a lie until we go get to glory with, you know, at the end of our lives. It's always going to, there's always going to be kind of, you know, that, that's that tension, that struggle. And speaking of that tension, like, as I talk with others that experience same-sex attraction, like they, many people describe it like, like they can, there's many, like you can go for months where it's just sort of like, you recognize it's there, but you know, you can get, you can focus on life and, you know, focus on Christ and these things. Then other times it's like this 500 pound gorilla that's just sitting on you. Right. And it's like, you you almost can't reconcile the day to day. do you, like, what does a bad day for, for Becca look like? 
Well, again, I mean, and I, and I, I recognize too that like, this isn't the case for a lot of people who deal with same sex attraction. Yeah. But again, like God had like, here's the thing. The day before I got saved, my libido was at a hundred percent. That's all I thought about. My life was dominated by, by sexuality. But the day after, it's just like it went down to like 5%. Mm. And so it, it's not, again, it just doesn't, it doesn't dominate my thought life. It doesn't, it doesn't, um, yeah, but I, I, but I get it. I get that, you know, it's not the case for everyone. And, and it, it's hard. And I know it's, for a lot of people, it, it's such a struggle. I've seen this happen so many times in my church, but in, in other churches. But for, for some, it's such a struggle that they essentially like Esau, they sell their birthright for a single meal. Yeah. Like they, they have to have that gratification that, that they want to satisfy their appetite now instead of waiting for the promises of God. Like in Hebrews that talks about that, the, the looking to the heavenly country, instead of like focusing on the future and, and, and focusing on the heavenly country and all the promises of God, they, they have to satisfy that, that appetite now. And it, it's again, it's like Esau selling his birthright for a single meal. Yeah. And, and to me, that's, it's so distressing when I see that because it, I'm like, guys, like this life is a vapor. It's two seconds long. Like, what do you want your life to be? Eternity is a really long time, by the way. Like, what do you want your life to be? Do you want it to be about like kind of living around the edges of sin? Or do you want to just be all in for the kingdom of God? Like, this is like, this is huge. This is a big deal. And so, uh, yeah. Yeah. So what would you say to someone who's like, who that tension and that attraction is just sort of, they're just in a place where it is so much in the moment where they can't see, I don't even see how I can make it at the end of this week, let alone the end of my life in this state. And so they almost feel like I have to let some pressure off by, by at least stepping away from, from, these things and, and exploring this lifestyle because I feel like that's, that's the only pressure there. Like any additional advice that you haven't, they haven't given that comes to mind. Well, the thing is, okay. So I, the, the culture obviously is so powerful right yeah, now. Right. And it is Netflix and all these, all these outlets. And it's, I always tell people, if you watch an hour of Netflix, you need to read the Bible for an hour because you've just been lied to for an hour and, <laughs> and you need yeah. the truth. You need, to, you need to be reinforced with the truth. And that's the thing. It's like the Bible, the, the word of God is the sword of the spirit. You need to, we need our, the armor of God as in Ephesians 6. We need the armor of God all the time on us because we're in a spiritual battle. It's like there's spiritual warfare going on and it's real. Yeah. It, the struggle is real. And I would just recommend not only being in the word all the time. And I mean, I listen to audio Bible every night before I go to bed and it's so just, I mean, it's absolutely, it's life changing, obviously. I mean, it's so powerful. And I mean, even if you just listen to the book of Hebrews all the way through or, or even revelation all the way through in one sitting, you're just like, Whoa, like God is holy. And, and I think that changes a lot. But another thing that's helpful is obviously to be in community with other people that can help you bear your burdens and be, you know, have pastors or people, people that are close to you in the church that can, can help you and pray for you and come alongside you. And, and when you do feel lonely, that's what the church, the body of Christ is for, is to come alongside you. And, and you suddenly, when you're born again, you're born into a family and of brother, you have brothers and sisters in Christ. And that's, so powerful. And that's what happened with me. I mean, I, my church family just came swarming around me when I got saved and just, they were all there for me all the time. And mm. that was such an important thing too. So being in the word and being in community are really crucial. I love that. Yeah. And especially when it's so easy in our society, to sort of default to that, that Netflix, you know, as far as like, oh, I'm, I'm kind of sort of bored. Maybe I'll, you know, watch the latest episode on whatever series, but to sort of be intentional about, now I'm turning to the word and I'm also going to be intentional with turning my community of Christians so that, so that they can build me up and sustain me. Right. Yeah. I mean, not to be like crazy fanatical about it, but it's like, if we looked at, instead of looking at uh, Instagram every five minutes, you know, on our phones. And if we instead looked at like an app, a Bible app and just read 
a verse of scripture every five minutes. Just imagine how that would shape our minds and our hearts every day. Like, imagine how, because now we're so shaped by social media and, and by media in general. That just imagine if we, if we just look to the truth rather than to all the lies that are out there. And we, because we're, right now we're imbibing constantly. We're just, what, like, even if we're just driving down the street where we see a billboard and we're imbibing lies constantly, you know, all 24 hours a day, we're just imbibing life. And so, so yeah, we really need to have that antidote of the truth to really crush the lie, you know? Yeah. So I'm curious to know your perspective on a typical scenario that uh, I've heard from a lot of individuals in our, in our faith who uh, experience same-sex attraction, where the typical story is, and it breaks my heart when I hear this, that you know, they, they grow up, they're raised in the faith, they, they, they're, they believe, they're gung-ho, but then there's, you know, in their uh, pubescent years, they're trying to reconcile these new feelings, and what does this mean? Like, maybe this will go away, and then they get to a stage where they think, well, okay, what I'm going to do is I'm going to keep the commandments so good, and I'm going to go on my mission when I'm 18 years old and, and serve for two years, and I'm not just going to serve, I'm going to be the best missionary, and it's going to be awesome. And then at some point, God will see my my valor, but God will see my, my effort and he'll just take this away from me and I'll be liberated, right? Do you ever go through this uh, narrative where you feel like maybe at some point God will just take this away from me? No, I mean, Paul prayed for God to take the thorn from his flesh three times and he didn't. And, and Paul was the greatest apostle of all time. Right. Uh, <laughs> and so, so no, I don't, I don't really, God may take that away. He may take that thorn from my flesh like at some point and he's done other miraculous things in my life that are just absolutely crazy that I could tell you if we have time, but I, you know, I, I, Paul, here's the thing. Paul was single and he was, all he cared about was getting the gospel out. He, he was shipwrecked. He was jailed. He was beaten. He, he was, and, but he didn't care because all he cared about was the gospel. And, and that's how, I mean, that's how I feel in a way as a Christian. It's like, I'm not comparing myself to Paul, but I just feel like, I, it's like, yeah. I don't care. Like what I don't, whatever struggles I'm having, I don't care because all I really care about is the kingdom of God and, and getting the word and getting, getting the good news out. And so I don't, I don't really focus on that idea of like, oh, I wish God would just take this cup from me, yeah. <laughs> cup from me because I'm happy to deny myself, take up my cross and follow Christ. Like he's worth it. And so it's not, it's not traumatic for me to struggle with things. You know, it's just like, this is just part of, this is part of being in this, you know, in this tension between, you know, Adam and the new heavens and new earth. And so, so yeah, I'm, I'm okay with it. Yeah. And you use the word tension a few times and I appreciate that because you sort of recognize the tensions there. You're not just saying like, oh, you know, you're not healed from this or it's not been taken from you, but you recognize yeah. that there's some level of tension, especially in your day-to-day life. And you are just in the practice of taking that to Christ, right? And yeah. again and again and again. Is that, yeah. is that an accurate way to look at it? Yeah, I just, um, yeah, I take it to, I mean, I, when you're in communion with Christ, when you're in prayer with him and you're actually just, communing with Jesus, like Jesus, it's so fulfilling and satisfying that when you really spend like super quality time with him, it, it changes everything because you no longer, everything else, every other thing in life pales in comparison. Like all the other issues in life just pale. They, and so that's key too, is, is prayer, is being in prayer and, and being just in communion with Christ. And I, I mean, I sit, I lay, I lay on my floor, probably prostrate on my floor and just pray, you know, and I, and that just that position of being prostrate, it just is like a position of kind of humility mm-hmm. and there's no magic, there's no magic to it. It's just that it just kind of is my, it's like the, it's like showing the humility of my heart and, and I experience so much joy and so much, um, it's like abiding in Christ, you know, in John 15, when you abide in Christ, you bear much fruit. And, and I just feel like when I abide in him, there's just, I just feel so enriched and revived and renewed. And so that's, I think that's a key to is just abiding in Christ. Yeah. 
And you, you mentioned a few things as far as it's almost like you have this daily practice, you know, I mentioned as far as listening to the, the Bible app as you go to bed and then some of these other, you know, prayer uh, tactics and things. Would you say you have a daily practice that sort of helps you maintain and keeps you in that, that, that mindful state of mind? Yes. I mean, you know, it's like, it's like the gym, you know, we, everyone compares it to, it's like, if you don't, if you want like a, to be a fit person and you just don't, if you go to the gym every day, you're going to see the results of that over the quarter of course of the course of time. But if you don't, you're going to, so it's the same, it's kind of the same thing. If you don't spend time and I, I, I try to make it a practice every day and not in some like crazy legalistic way, but just, yeah, because I know, because I know the spiritual disciplines of prayer and reading the word of God and church, you know, going to church services and, and fasting and all these spiritual disciplines, I, they are super, they're not only helpful, but they're absolutely crucial in terms of person, like in Hebrews, again, persevering, persevering till the end, you know, mm-hmm. like it's so easy to fall away from, from the faith. If you're not constantly, you know, in these spiritual disciplines and, and so that I, yeah, I do, I do kind of make it a daily habit of, being in God's word and especially I do it mostly at night because I'm more of a night person. (laughs) I'm not a morning person at all. (laughs) So I, you know, I try to just spend time in prayer and and spend time in the word and, you know, and I spend time with other believers and in community groups and, you know, at my church on Sundays and stuff. And that's so important to like be, you know, it's it's so funny because like going to your local church every Sunday and hearing the word of God preached, it's just, it change, it's, like, it's funny because it just changes you. I mean, every time I go to church, I'm like, oh yeah, like I need, I, yes, this is important. This thing is important. And that's why it's so just, you know, disturbing now where kind of millennials and other younger people just kind of stop going to church and kind of do it on their, they're like, Oh, it's just between me and Jesus. <laughs> and they just watch like podcasts and stuff. Like, no, it's so important to like be with your, the community of believers, yeah. the assembly of God and uh, the assembly and Ecclesia and, um, and really hear the word preached. And you know, there's so much that goes on in that time and that during yeah. that service. So, yeah. Yeah. So what would you say, do you ever, I mean, it's been about 10 years since uh, you were saved and, and do you worry, like it's telling your story, like as far as like Christian parents hearing your story and taking to their gay son and saying, look, just do what, you know, Beckett's doing. He's, he's figured it out. Like, are you worried of being like the poster boy of, of this concept of, of the the gay man that was saved and returned (sighs) to the church? And so they sort of push it on them like it's a formula. No, I mean, I've never thought of it that way, really. I'm not worried about being the poster child <laughs> of, you know, ex-gay or whatever it is called. Yeah, yeah. You know, was Paul worried about being the poster boy of, you know, ex-murderer of Christians? I don't think so. <laughs> um, he didn't really care. But uh, yeah, I never think of it that way. I just think of it as this issue is so... Satan, Satan has blinded the culture with this issue and he's winning the battle right now and he's winning he's not going to win the war obviously but he's winning the battle right now and so I think it's like for me it's just I feel God just really calling me to go speak at as many places as possible to help people understand this issue biblically theologically culturally and from someone who's been on both sides of it yeah. And I, I don't see it as like a, po- like I'm the poster boy for it. I just see it as like, this is, this is like a, a mission. <laughs> this is a mission and it's so necessary right now in this insane culture we live in that I'd see it that way. Yeah, that's cool. So I, I explained a little bit before you hit record as far as the audience that, uh, that this podcast is for, you know, lay leaders who aren't necessarily theologically trained, you know, they, they're asked to serve for a time and then they, we shift callings and, and uh, responsibilities and award. And so oftentimes a bishop, uh, you know, uh, the local pastor is, is faced with someone setting an appointment with him. That individual comes in and, and, ex- and comes out to them, comes out to him and says, you know, I'm, I'm gay and I don't know what to do about it. What uh, perspective or guidance 
encouragement would you give to bishops or in that position as far as like how to handle it? What, what would you do in, in those shoes? Well, it's, first of all, it's not like a, a one-time kind of thing. I, I think it's like a, important to understand that it could be a long process of, of really helping that person through, lovingly helping that person through this. And because it's, it's such a difficult thing. But, um, you know, I talk, I, my sister-in-law was a good example to me of someone who was a, she was an evangelical Christian she believed homosexuality was a sin. I knew she believed that, but she just loved me unconditionally for years, 20 years. And she loved me. She never condemned me. And she just, she prayed for me for 20 years. Hmm. And Billy Graham famously said, it's God's job to judge. It's the Holy Spirit's job to convict and it's our job to love. And I, I think that for bishops or pastors to who are meeting with people who are, you know, are struggling with this or coming out. It's just, it's important to be obviously to balance grace and truth. I mean, Jesus was a master at this in the gospels, obviously, yeah. but it's important to be as loving as humanly possible and, and really just, you know, help that person, you know, get through this or help that person, I don't know, just to help that first person feel loved and accepted. And, but also know, you know, it's like the grace and truth balance is important because you have to, you know, understand the person has to know what your convictions are on the issue and that, that yes, homosexuality is a sin, but I'm going to, I'm going to help you and I'm going to love you through this. And I'm going to be here for you whenever you need anything. So just like, reach out to me, call me whenever, you know, you're going through a hard time and I'll pray for you or, or whatever. So yeah. that's, that's something I think you can do. Yeah. That, that's helpful. It sounds like, I mean, just, you're just prayerfully present, right? Whether if you're praying for them, you're being there, you're extending love and, but it's easy sometimes to sort of get in this stage of fix it. Like, okay, let's just fix your situation or let's get you in a stage where, you know, this isn't a problem, but then we sort of lo- leave that love stage a little bit right yeah like it's probably not helpful to start quoting bible verses you know like here well this bible verse says homosexuality is an abomination and it that oftentimes isn't helpful i mean sometimes it could be you know to certain people but in general what's lacking is the compassion and empathy and love that is needed in those situations yeah that's helpful and then as far as like now that you're, you know, you're obviously entrenched in the, the Christian community, which is great. What does your relations look like with, you know, those that maybe are, you know, maybe your friends that are, that are gay and, and living that lifestyle? I mean, do, I mean, what's the day to day with them? I, cause some may say, well, you need to just cut yourself off from that community. Cause that's dangerous. Right. I mean, do you find yourself doing that or obviously you have to live in this yeah. world, right? In many ways. Yeah, there is obviously I don't go to gay bars or, you know, cause like right, yeah. I don't put myself in situations where it is dangerous. Like I wouldn't hang out with ex-boyfriends, you know, who like, you know what I'm saying? Like there's yeah, yeah. things that I do have boundaries on, but you know, I still, I don't, a lot of my old friends, they're still kind of in my life, but honestly, and I still, you know, I still, I'm totally open to them to, you know, if they want to reach out and have dinner or something, I'm totally open to that. But honestly, like my life, it just is my friend, all my friends are now predominantly Christians and because that's who I spend most of my time with. And so, um, but I still try to keep contact with, with a lot of my old friends because I want to keep that door open whenever they're ready. And, Several of them, two of gay friends of mine, have come to Christ over the last oh, few wow. years. And so, so I like to keep that door open um, so that uh, so when they are, you know, in a situation where they're feeling desperate or they're, or they're in a situation where they want to seek the Lord or seek God, I'm there for them to help them, you know, under, you know to walk them through that. But I definitely don't have this policy of like cutting everyone off, you know, because it's like, they're not, they're in darkness. They're living in darkness. They, and they're, and God had grace on me 
you know, there's hundreds of thousands of gay guys. Like I live in West Hollywood. We're just right out that window. There's hundreds of thousands of gay guys. Yeah. And God had grace on me. He just plucked me out of obscurity and said, I'm going to, I'm going to bring you into my kingdom. And I, I mean, so I have nothing but love for these people because I was just like, I was the same. I was in darkness for 20 years. Yeah. And so what, I mean, they, they're not accountable to me. They're accountable to God in the end, but to me, they're not accountable. And for me, all I can do is love them and hopefully lead them to Christ. And so I, I, I definitely leave that door open for anyone and everyone who my old friends or any you know, people I meet who are living in that life. I'm just like, yeah, like, help, let me tell you about the gospel. Let me tell you about Jesus. Let me tell you my story. So, yeah. Yeah. And, and just how you emphasize the, the community, the Christian community, where you sort of recharge and feel supported and are drawn t- towards Christ again. It's not that you just stay in there and push every community out, but you go there, sort of regroup and recharge and, and, uh, you know, reassure your faith. And then you return to the other communities to show love and, yeah. and encouragement and acceptance, right? Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. That's cool. As we wrap up here, as far as like identity, uh, you know, a lot of individuals who experience same-sex attraction, they're, they're, some are very committed to identifying as, you know, gay and calling themselves gay. And what can we learn from your experience as far as, because a lot of times like a bishop or, you know, a Relief Society president, a female leader, they're sort of unsure to say, oh, yes, you're gay or to, or to put a label on them somehow, mm-hmm. right? Because once you come into Christ, like you just want to be identified with Christ, right? And so how do you yeah. reconcile that in your day-to-day interactions as you commune with that, that community? Yeah, well, I would never call myself a gay Christian because hmm. gay, why would I, I wouldn't use an ad, a sinful adjective to describe myself. So I would never, like, it's, it's like, would you call yourself a greedy Christian or a gossiping Christian or a murderous Christian? <laughs> like that... So I, I think the calling yourself, using that label gay Christian is, it's very misleading and it's also dangerous. It can, it's dangerous because it can shape your identity if you keep saying that. I, I, I don't want to speak that word over myself all the time. Like, I'm a gay Christian. Like, I never say that. I'm just like, I'm a Christian. That's it. Like, I don't have to explain anything else. Like, I'm a Christian, period. I'm in Christ. I'm united to Christ and I'm indwelt by the Holy Spirit. And that's who I am. That's my identity. So being gay, that was like, you know, that's my old man. That's my old self. And that was crucified with Christ. So I don't, I think it's, if you're same sex attracted and you're a believer, I think it's a very, it's a weird thing to call for me to call yourself a gay or a queer Christian, especially mm-hmm. I think that's just like bizarre. Like don't speak that over yourself. Cause that's not who you are. You're a new creation in Christ. Mm-hmm. Nice. I, like I didn't that. answer your question. I don't know if I did. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> and and do, you, do you find you run into others in the Christian community that, that sort of want to recognize like it, there's sort of this it's sort of like in the community of you know if you're a recovering addict like there's power in an individual saying i'm an addict because you're sort of recognizing it's a different way of saying i'm broken and because i'm broken that is why i so much need christ mm-hmm. right and so do you feel like some individuals use that to you know some one ways to say listen I'm, I'm a gay christian because i i'm broken and that's why i need christ i mean do others tend to use that term more in in the the circles that you find yourselves in I don't know. Maybe there's validity to that, but I, I don't know if, I think ultimately it's unhealthy to put that label on yourself and to just go through life identifying as a gay Christian, because again, it just, I think it can, yeah. it can have an effect on your mind and your heart if you just keep saying that. Yeah. Awesome. Well, Becca, this has been great. I mean, I've, it's all, it's fun not only to learn from your experience, you know, the transition and, and conversion that you experienced yourself uh, being saved, but also just even outside, sometimes we get in our Mormon bubble a little bit and, you know, generally we're, you know, we, we're the church of Jesus Christ, Latter-day Saints. So, you know, Jesus Christ is a big deal to us and so forth, but it's always helpful to just hear how other religious groups are sort of approaching this and, and seeing yeah. it. And that's helpful to hear that experience. So I have one more question for you, but before we wrap up, if people are interested in your book and obviously they can come to the North star conference, which is March, uh, March 5th through 7th. And on Saturday, it's a, they're doing a free, free sessions for, uh, leaders as well. So 
But if people want to check out your book, uh, where would you send them to, to find that? Yeah, it, well, it's called A Change of Affection. It's a gay man's incredible story of redemption. I know that we just talked about the label gay, but my publisher put that in there. Yeah, hey, marketing. I'm a marketing guy. I get it. Sometimes you have yes. to break some of those rules. <laughs> but it's on, it's anywhere. It's on Amazon. It's on Barnes and Noble. It's any book, Christian bookstore, any bookstore, really, you can find it. So, and yeah. uh, w- would you, I mean, again, going back to this, this dynamic of uh, who would, who should they gift the, should they gift that book to their gay son who's sort of in darkness at the moment or should they? They should give it to everyone because okay. you know, the, honestly, the, the book isn't just for gay people or, or, or same sex attracted. It's really for everyone in the church because it, again, I really take a, I unpack the whole, this whole issue in so many different ways. And it's, it's helpful for even, I've gotten so much feedback from straight Christians, so to speak, who, and they're just like, whoa, like I'm not even, I don't even struggle with this sin, but like this book was so convicting. And so it helped me understand this issue so much better. And so it's really for everyone in the church and who people who just want to understand this issue and from every possible angle, like yeah. I think it's helpful. Awesome. Well, last question I have for you is you look back on, on your life, on, on your journey uh, to being saved and, and now your, your life in Christ. Uh, how has your life, your beginning, your journey through darkness made you a better disciple of Jesus Christ? Well, I mean, as I said, just being in the dark for so long and then suddenly being, uh, you know, God just rescuing me in that moment and 10 years ago, it was such a radical change that now I see, you know, I see that my old life was uh, so just dark. It was so dark and sinful. And so I was just kind of, it was bad. I was blind, obviously. And, and when, so when you get your sight by, you know, by the grace of God, when you get your sight, it's like so amazing and miraculous that all you want to do is tell everyone and and that my my past my you know past in darkness does it helps inform kind of like what my my life now because i see the contrast between dark and light so strongly because i wasn't you know it wasn't like i was you know a christian when i was 6 years old so the contrast is so stark that i just know that I never want to go back to that darkness. Like I don't want to go back to that life ever because it's it's destructive and it's ultimately very empty. And so I'm 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 just so happy that God showed me that and showed me, you know, brought me into his marvelous light. That concludes my interview with Beckett Cook. What an awesome guy he is and I I was I appreciate his belief, his perspective his encouragement. And uh, there's no doubt how he is a a miracle. He is a witness of how the love of Christ can change an individual. And I realize there are individuals listening to this that maybe they're not in that that state of mind with Beckett yet, or they have a a son or daughter or or someone they love who they just wish could, could be where Beckett's at. I can't encourage you enough to just continue to love those individuals, be open to them, make space for them. Make sure that they feel comfortable in the pew next to you, right? And we don't have any way of forcing this on them other than making the invitation and making that invitation in a way that they know that they'll be loved and cherished regardless of the choice they make. And uh, I have no doubt that uh, not only was Beckett changed, but all of us can be changed. And, And at the end of the day, this redemptive power, it can be displayed in a very dramatic way in the context of, of Beckett's story. But This redemptive power can be real for all of us. And we are all broken. We all need Christ. We all have a label that we label ourselves with, regardless of what it is, that is constantly maybe holding us back from identifying fully with our Savior, Jesus Christ, and being with him and being sanctified in him. So I hope you found this episode uplifting, encouraging, and hopefully motivating you to simply love others. If there's anybody else you think I should reach out to and interview, you know, obviously we have a great resource like North Star, which again, you've got to be at the conference. Even if you've gone before, you've got to be there on especially March 
7th when they're having the free leadership session, but consider, look at the schedule, look at the other dates and be there. And so North Star has been a great resource of recommending people that I could I could interview around this topic. But what other topic that's sometimes difficult or messy or, or hard to reconcile in your role as, as leader? You know, what should we consider? Who should we reach out to and uh, share their perspective so that we can all learn and all figure out ways to uh, more easily come into Christ. And remember, text the word LEAD to 474747 and join the Core Leader community today. It came as a result of the position of leadership which was imposed upon us by the God of heaven who brought forth a restoration of the gospel of Jesus Christ. When the declaration was made concerning the own and only true and living church upon the face of the earth, we were immediately put in a position of loneliness, the loneliness of leadership from which we cannot shrink nor run away and to which we must face up with boldness and courage and ability.